2: When it comes to bacteria or probiotics or gut microflora is that we want to make sure that it's balanced. And because we live in the real world and we don't live in a bubble, our bacteria becomes imbalanced in our gut. So the key is we want to make sure that our gut is balanced because it helps with digestion, immunity, mental health. So now we know that a lot of what's going on, 70% of our immune system is in our gut. So it's important for so many different things
1: welcome to the tonic i'm your host jamie busson and we're here to talk about your health and wellness today we'll learn about probiotics we'll consider how to get ready for golf and tennis season we'll discuss meal prep 101 and lastly we'll hear about COVID 19 bereavement counseling but first a little bit of business ever wonder if your probiotics are really working for you to fully benefit from probiotics you need to ensure they're not destroyed by your stomach acids Clinical studies prove that enteric coating guarantees safe intestinal delivery of live active probiotic cells. New Roots Herbal offers a variety of enteric coated probiotics formulated to meet your specific needs. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. Find them in the refrigerated section. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Andrea Donsky is a registered holistic nutritionist with 20 years' experience in natural health and wellness. She's the co-founder and editor-in-chief of NaturallySavvy.com and a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine. Welcome back to the show.
2: Thank you, Jamie. Happy to be here. Yeah,
1: you were here a couple months ago and we were talking about women's health for Women's Health Month. But today we're going to talk about something that pertains to all of us. Yes, And that is probiotics.
2: Yes, bacteria. Woo, Woo We are made of bacteria, so it's an awesome topic.
1: Okay, so there's good bacteria and bad bacteria, and the good kind is called probiotics, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So what are probiotics?
2: Probiotics are living bacteria. So our bodies are made up of trillions of bacteria, and the bacteria lives on pretty much every part of our body, like our skin, in our gut, and up our nose. In fact, our bacteria outnumber our cells 10 to 1. Yeesh. Yeah. Isn't that amazing?
1: Yeah. If it's okay with you, I I want to avoid that thought from my head. (laughs) Okay. You just zap that out. You said it and I'm sure it's true, but I don't want to think about it. We're just going to move on. Okay.
2: Okay. So most of the bacteria lives in our gut and it's all, our gut is also known as our microbiome. Have you, are you familiar with that term? I am. You would be, because you run Tonic.
1: I do. So you know. (laughs) I know all about it. And, And it helps us digest our food, right?
2: It does. So our gut contains as many as a thousand different types of living microorganisms, including bacteria, viruses, and yeast, with bacteria making up the majority of them.
1: Right. And it's important for the processing of nutrients in our body. Without the bacteria, we would not be able to take in all the important nutrients.
2: hundred percent. And the thing when it comes to bacteria or probiotics or gut, microflora, is that we want to make sure that it's balanced. And because we live in the real world and we don't live in a bubble, our bacteria becomes imbalanced in our gut so you know if you're smoking or you're not exercising or you're eating poor food or you're drinking a lot or you're stressed hello life <laughs> yeah,
1: or you've <laughs> taken antibiotics or okay. you've taken
2: antibiotics that's a great one yeah. so it becomes imbalanced so the key is we want to make sure that our gut is balanced because like you said it's amazing for health reasons so it helps with digestion immunity mental health right so now we know that a lot of what's going on seventy 70 of our immune system is in our gut so it's important for so many different things
1: Right, and you know, in a purely period fashion, you know, it it affects sort of your ability to digest, and perhaps you know, you might burp or have more gas, or just you know, generally, your body may look different if you're not digesting properly. You can look sallow if you don't have the proper. Exactly,
2: we are we. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to something the other day, and they were saying we're not we're not we are what we eat. We are what we absorb. Yes, right. So how are we digesting our food? And yes, probiotics play a very big part in that.
1: And it changes as you age, right? Like. uh, decreases. The amount
2: of gut flora decreases as we age. So that's why it's really important. So I'm a big believer in taking probiotics every single day. And I do. And I take it really, yes, for overall immunity and mental and digestion. But for me, it's my mental health. I find, so this is my own, like my own observation of having been in, you know, I'm a nutritionist now. I'm in this industry for 20 years. And personally, I love to actually experiment everything on myself. So I never talk about anything unless I've actually taken it and I believe in it 100%. So I have experimented with probiotics by taking it daily and then stopping and then seeing the results. And for me, it manages my anxiety. Huh. I find that if I am consistently taking my probiotics, my anxiety is much better than if I'm not.
1: Do you know, I find that when I eat ice cream and chocolate, I feel better. But, <laughs> but, but I, think, I think you're talking about something different. Uh, yeah,
2: we're talking about, by the way, the chocolate and the ice Well, actually, if, no, it, if it's organic, yeah. dark, yeah. 70% cocoa, then I'm all for it because I think that is awesome. It has all the antioxidants well, I, I'm a, I'm and it's so good, right? Chocolate. The dark chocolate is great. The ice cream, I mean, once in a while, hey, listen, Hey, we make I love our... my coconut ice cream. I'm dairy-free, so but I'm a big fan of coconut ice cream we
1: make it ourselves so it's
3: oh uh, i like
1: yeah you know that ice cream maker you probably got for your wedding and probably sat there (laughs) i
2: have like that banana ice cream maker okay
1: okay so you know we got this great cookbook because naomi reviews the cookbooks and it was all about ice cream and since we've got it i would say we've used the ice cream maker more in the past year and a half than we did in the first 25 years of our marriage that's
2: awesome right yeah that's amazing i love it i love ice cream hey listen
1: Sorry, it's all about balance here on the topic. It is-
2: <laughs> it's all about balance. Hey, I, who, hello, I wrote a book called Unjunk Your Junk Food. There you so go. So we're all about balance. And if you want your you know, piece of chocolate right. and you don't want your carrot, I get it. You want your chocolate.
1: So what else does probiotics help us with in terms of our health?
2: Well, so we cover the big ones. I mean, yeah. there's so many different things, but the big ones really are the mental health, it's immunity because 70%, like we said, of our immunity yep. is in our gut and it helps with digestion. Those are the big ones, but overall health.
1: Okay, yeah. so... If I went to the store or if I went online and I was looking for probiotics, there would be a lot to choose from, right? And there so, are so, so how, many brands. From your perspective, mm-hmm. like what is it that people should be looking for in terms of their probiotics?
2: Right. So there are a lot of new probiotics and brands that have hit the market. I mean, I'm more of old school girl when it comes to probiotics because and I, I'm doing more and more research to seeing what's new popping up. But I am I like a refrigerated probiotic. Why? Because the thing about refrigeration first of all that's where a lot of the research is but the refrigerate what what it happens when a probiotic is refrigerated that it actually kind of puts the bacteria into a form of let's say hibernation
1: stasis yeah it,
2: it, yeah so and then what happens when you take it out of the fridge and it when it hits your colon your intestines or if it's even at room temperature they start to activate and if you don't give them what they need let's say for their food which is prebiotics or if they don't get what they need when they're in our body the food that feeds it so a prebiotic you're familiar with prebiotics yeah. yeah so if you don't prebiotics are food for the probiotics if don't get what they need they start to die off so that's why you want to get them in the in the refrigerator and you also want to look for multi-strain probiotics why so because that's where again that's where the research is it helps with with overall immunity and that's where the research the clinical research is showing that they're really effective
1: okay so also when I'm looking at labels about probiotics, I'm looking at like massive numbers for the yeah. amount and like, and and like they have to be live and they have to be this and they have to be that, yeah. but like they're big numbers, right? They I mean, are. It seems almost farcical, but there is a method behind the madness, right?
2: Right. So absolutely. So they're called, so the big numbers are called CFUs, which are colony forming units. And the reason why they're in the billions is because there's billions of them, right? So it's the number of active cells we get in in the formula, in the probiotic.
1: But we actually do need billions, right? We do need
2: billions. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think I've ever even seen a probiotic that's come in the millions, right? So no, you absolutely need, it's the only way that it is, you'll find it in a formula But But it's more
1: necessarily better? Yeah.
2: So, yeah. So it depends, right? So if you have, like for, if you're younger and you know, you, probably need 10 to 20
1: billion okay so what's younger
2: i mean i'd say when you're probably in your you know if you're let's say under 40 let's say so if you're younger then you don't need as much maybe even under under 30 okay Okay. like don't quote me exactly but you know and it also is dependent on your body right so if you're younger but you have colon issues then you're going to need more Right. right so but for everyday natural maintenance you know Ten to twenty billion is enough. If you're over fifty, though, you are going to need much more. And if you have specific issues, like for example, like you said, if you were on antibiotics, then you're going to need something that's going to help you recover and replenish those good bacteria. So you're going to want something that has like 120 billion, for example. Or if you have colon issues, you're going to want something that has a little bit more. I personally take 50 million every single, 60 billion every single day. So that's my dosage. And let's say I need a little bit more if I'm feeling under the weather. I'll up my dosage. If I'm feeling a little bit more anxious, I'll i up my dosage. If I have some, you know, a lot more ice cream than I normally do, no, no <laughs> I'll comment. up my dosage. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So it really depends on, and there's also probiotics that if you're, you know, that have been studied for C. difficile. So if you're going in for some type of operation and are you going to the hospital, then you may want to take a specific type of probiotic that has been studied for C. diff.
1: Are there different types of probiotics depending on like what your diet is, for example, like if you're vegan or vegetarian, if you're living a certain lifestyle or is it, let's rephrase the question. Are there types of probiotics that you would recommend? Like is is there strains that make a difference or are all bacteria the same?
2: No. So there are different strains. So you do want to look for that multi-strain because that's what's, going to make the difference. They've all been researched differently. So there's human strain, there's plant strain, and there's animal strains. And the studies are showing that the multi-strain formulas offer better results for clinical tri- in the clinical trials compared to the single-strain formulas.
1: So when we're saying results, it's the efficacy of like right. the digestion exactly. and everything, right? Exactly.
2: Okay. So what they're being studied for. So for example, C. difficile, the sp- specific strains that you would be looking for, I don't know exactly what they are, but you would be looking for is those would be the ones you want to take. But what companies are going to say on the pro- on the package? They'll tell you what it's actually for. So if it's like a hospital care formula, or if it's a colon care formula, they should tell you what those strains are. Because you're not as as consumers, we're not signed like we, we don't like go no, into the research, right? We're not like, wait, I really need that strain. I mean, there are very common ones like lacto and lactobacillus and bifido. So there are certain ones that we know about, but we're not expected to know that when we go into the store to buy them.
1: I would hope not. <laughs> That's too much information. <laughs> we want the
2: companies to tell us. Well, you know? exactly, That's the right? thing, right? So that's why you want to make sure that the products you're buying have, you know, their labels, things are, certain things are written on the label. Like, for example, yep. how many CFUs are at the expiry date of the actual product? Why is that relevant? Because companies are going to do, especially probiotic companies, is that they're going to overfill their dosages, their let's say their CFUs, so that by the time they expire, they're going to have that amount. So let's say, for example, you're buying a product that has 50 billion CFUs right and if the company writes at the time of manufacturing well By the time that they expire, they're going to have less than the fifty billion. So you want to buy probiotics from companies that are going to say they have fifty billion at the expiry date, like a
1: guarantee. It's a guarantee, exactly. And anything more, if anything above that amount, is just gravy, right?
2: Totally gravy. Yeah, and they should overfill them because then it'll give you the fifty billion by the time they actually expire, because they'll decrease over time.
1: So, like, what I'm hearing from you is, is if I get my fifty billion, am I good to go, or is there more to it than that? Well, I'm a simple man, Andrea. (laughs) Explain it to me.
2: Okay, so yes, it's a step in the right direction for sure. Other things we want to keep in mind when buying a probiotic are like we just talked about, the expiry date. So we just mentioned that and also enteric coating, right? So enteric coating is very important. So our stomach is full of acid, which can destroy the good bacteria or the probiotics that we're taking.
1: Right, if we're taking it in pill form or or ingesting it. Yeah, it could be powder form, pill form,
2: exactly different ways. So in order to make sure that the probiotics reach our gut, we want to make sure that we take one that can survive the stomach acids and they actually reach our enteric intestines and coating capsules are the only way that are proven that it's a proven method that actually get the capsule past our stomach acids okay so it doesn't break it down
1: and that should be on the label then right it should it, like, yes you be, would know
2: exactly you, if it's coated, exactly
1: okay yeah so is this like a like a time release type thing is that the technology or
2: no so it's it's Okay, so on average, it takes around 60 minutes for something you eat to get through your stomach and into your intestines. You know, when tested using the United States Pharmacopeia Protocol, which is the standard method of testing, delay release capsules lasted only 30 minutes. And after 30 minutes, the capsules get permeated with acids and the delicate bacteria you just spent your good money on actually never gets to where it needs to go. So a capsule is made with two halves. The weakest point is the joint. Enteric coating not only seals the joint, but it also protects the entire capsule. So only enteric coated capsules can guarantee that all the probiotics in the capsule you just took actually get to your intestines safely.
1: Oh, okay. So so time release isn't no, enough. No, it's not the same thing. No. Okay. Okay, so given all that you've told us about the supplement, is is there a brand that you would recommend?
2: So, there are a lot of different brands on the market that yeah. are good quality. One of them that I've recently started working with is New Roots Herbal. And the reason why I really like them, and they've taught me a lot about probiotics. And the reason why I like them is because they're enteric coated, they're refrigerated, and they use that multi strain. So, and the other thing, cool thing that about them is they actually have so many different SKUs. So, don't, so many different things that you can buy. So, for example, like I was talking about, if you're going to the hospital, they'll have a hospital care one. If you have a colon issue, they have a colon issue one. They have one for women, they have one. So, like, there's so many different. different. Different options that, again, weren't you know. If you don't know the strains, which we don't expect you to know, you can just go in and pick the one that you need for your specific issue. Oh, that's great. Yeah.
1: If you're not into taking supplements, because some people just aren't mm-hmm, philosophically, yep. is there a way to get probiotics in our diet?
2: Yeah. So you can eat foods that contain probiotics or help to feed the probiotics. So prebiotics. So for example, bananas right. have resistant starch, or you were saying you're eating your oatmeal. Right. So those are have prebiotics that actually help to feed the good bacteria yeah, it's the in food our body. For
1: the bacteria that they like to eat.
2: You got it. So that you can have, you can eat your prebiotics or you can eat fermented foods. So I'm a big fan of kimchi and, you know, sour crowd and all these amazing fermented foods and kombucha, which I am like obsessed with. You, you,
1: you like <laughs> so you, kombucha? I
2: love kombucha because
1: it I, makes not a, me a bit burpy.
2: Uh, well, yeah, it's got a lot. You know, it's obviously that fermented yeah. but process, but yeah, I love kombucha. And these again have probiotics in it, so if you don't, you're not a big fan of taking an actual supplement, then you can you know, you can choose fermented foods.
1: What we've been doing, and this is old school, because I remember when my parents were doing it back in the day with their little sort of steamy yogurt maker, but we have a new Instant Pot that Naomi's obsessed with. And one of the things that she's been making is yogurt. Mm. And the interesting thing about making it at home is if you have a particular... Brand that you like, or if there's a flavoring, like I'm not talking about flavored yogurts, which you can do sort of after the fact. But if there's a style of yogurt that you like, you can just sort of buy it, and it becomes your starter right. for your yogurt. But the nice thing is, it doesn't have the gelatin in it, so the texture is different. But it t- it also doesn't have all the preservatives in it. Oh well, hello. So so it's all natural, <laughs> or the, right? Yeah, exactly. Or I the mean, added
2: sugars but, or the food coloring or correct, all that, it, right? The aspartame. oh makes right. me so like.
1: So we're, we're using organic milk to sort of yeah, derive it, which is, which so it's it's not. It's not a money play. Yep. It, it's it's uh, for the health. But uh, yogurt is a great source of probiotics. And I love that
2: you're saying this. So when you're making it yourself, yes. But if you're going to the store and you'll see a lot of the, you know, a lot of the foods will say 1 billion, you know, CFUs. But the thing I have with the issue with store-bought yogurt, I'm not saying this is every brand. I'm saying, you know, when I've done my research and I go to the store and I'm looking, a lot of these brands will add extra sugar, which kind of negates the whole purpose, right? Right. So it's like, it's counteracting all of the good that it's doing. So if you're going to make it yourself, yes, I think that's absolutely fantastic. But if you're going to buy it in the store, just make sure that you're looking for a brand that doesn't have added sugars. Look for a brand that has those 1 billion CFUs and that it's, it doesn't have any chemical additives because it, you're eating it with any of that. You're just, it's not, it's kind of counteracting the goodness that right. those bacteria and it actually is, It
1: isn't too big a deal to make the yogurt at home, honestly. Like it's just time consuming, but you're not watching it. It's not like a stirred pot that you're watching. You kind of, right. if you have an instant pot, which is a cheap appliance you can get pick them up for 80 or 90 dollars and they make a million different things you can make your own yogurt and it's super delicious
2: Mm, sounds yummy
1: thank you so much for coming on the show today thanks
2: for having me back jamie
1: we've got to take a short break but we'll be right back on the tonic the tonic is brought to you by purely natural their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble grit-free and great tasting greens on the market For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com.
2: This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio.
1: Dr. Stacey Irvine is the co founder of Totem Life Science. Through her work as a chiropractor and strength and conditioning specialist, Dr. Irvine's clientele ranges from beginners just starting out on an exercise program to elite and professional athletes looking for advanced rehabilitation and training program strategies. She's made several appearances as a fitness expert on Cityline, Canada AM, Global Television Network, City TV, WTN, and frequently quoted as a fitness expert on Chatelaine, Glow Magazine more magazines, Zoomer and the Toronto Star, and I guess The Tonic, because it's been a bunch of times. How are (laughs) you?
3: I'm great. Thank you. How are you?
1: Good. You're gonna have to add that to your bio, right?
3: (laughs) I should definitely redo my bio. The world is changing. I've got to keep up and get updated.
1: (laughs) Right. And one of the things that's happening is, uh, you know, restrictions are loosening and it's golf and tennis season. And those are two activities that I think are amenable to social distancing. What do you think?
3: Thank goodness. I'm so happy that people are able to get out and have some fun. Yeah, We did the hiking thing for months, right? And it's it's not exciting for everyone unless you're a bird watcher. So I love that there's some games now coming uh, back into our lives. And I think it means a lot to people and it means a lot for their mental health and their physical health, of course. We gotta do something to counteract all that food and alcohol.
1: <laughs> yeah, we do. Just speaking personally, we do. So, you know, I am the world's worst golfer. Mm-hmm. I once I went on a public course and I'm the only person who I didn't lose balls, I lost clubs. So wow. yeah, I'm really, really bad. Tennis I'm pretty good at, actually, Fun. interestingly. Fun. But you know, both those sports, there's a lot of torque and torsion and, right. and twisting. So how do we get ready to go back to it? Where do you want to start?
3: It's a really important question. Let's start with tennis. They're both very different sports. And the other thing we have to keep in mind is that we we treat a ton of tennis injuries at the clinics. And what I'm thinking too is that a lot of people that weren't playing these sports before are going to say, you know what, 20 years ago I played tennis. I was okay, I'm going to take it up again. So let's get ready so that I don't have to see you in the clinic with all the injuries related to tennis and golf. So tennis is agility power sport. And that means we've got a lot of stopping and starting. Yep. And it's also uncontrolled because you don't actually know where the ball is going. And so it makes it a bit challenging to prepare for, whereas golf is a very repetitive motion. You're, you're kind of doing the same thing over and over again. So for tennis, We have a different strategy. You want to start doing some things that help you with your hand-eye coordination, Mm -hmm. and those can be as simple as, you know, with a tennis ball at home, throwing it against the wall, catching it with your right hand, catching it with your left hand, you know, repeating types of things where you have to move around a little bit, but keep your eye on a ball, on a ball that's moving. So that's important. Mm -hmm. And then one of the most common areas that we treat with tennis is the upper body. So we commonly see elbow injuries. Tennis
4: tennis
1: elbow. elbow, It's called
3: that for a reason. And then we see a lot of shoulder tendinosis. So your strategy with tennis is to almost picture that you're kind of putting body armor around your upper body. So we want to really aim for strength. We don't want to aim for flexibility. Really? Okay? Yeah.
1: I, I would have thought the other.
3: No, we want to. So if you think about reaching for the tennis ball, yeah. it's pure physics. That tennis racket head is very far away from your body, yep. especially on things like a serve or any shot that you're reaching to get. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the force that comes back through your arm is extreme. And you don't want the arm to be flexible for that. You want it to be strong and you want it to be solid, right? Because the more solid your arm is, the harder you're going to hit the ball back.
1: So are you, are you strengthening the small muscles that help control the bigger?
3: Yep. So you start with the wrist, and so we want to strengthen the wrist because in tennis, we do not want our wrist to bend. We want it to be stable and as strong as it possibly can be. So that's just those simple, you know, like get some hand weights and do your wrist motion while you kind of have your forearm like sitting on a countertop or anywhere that it's stable. So start with those. Then with the elbows, we kind of do the same thing. You get that weight, you do the rotation, and then you can go into some things like dumbbell lifts Mm -hmm. right? With your arms straight. And for the shoulders, those are trickier. So we have to strengthen the shoulders into rotation because they're doing a lot of that. So
1: is that that the thumbs up exercise where you're lying on your, on your front and you sort of raise your thumbs up as though you're hitchhiking, that type of thing?
3: Like the Superman types of things. I love those. Those are fantastic for tennis. I think your best strategy is to go online and search, you know, top five rotator cuff exercises. They can be done, it's always done with light weights, which is lovely, and you can do them at home, and it's super easy, and you really want to do some emphasis on that before you start playing. The other piece of equipment that is really good for tennis players that is worth the investment are those TheraBands. Yep. Because you can work all your rotator cuff motions, and then you can even start to imitate a tennis swing with the band in your hand. So again, you're really doing a very good job of specific strengthening through your upper body, but it is crucial. Your rotator cuff and all your upper body things take a really, you know, they really, it's a demanding sport for those areas of your body.
1: I actually have a screwed up rotator that needs to be looked at. It's it's really
3: common. Yeah. Well, you. and think about it too. Now we've been spending so much time sitting at computers that our posture is a little messed up. Yep. Well, mine is, I don't know about everyone. I can't speak for everyone, but I'm going to guess, even when I look at my kids, their posture now is that really shoulder forward posture. Yep. And that is really not great for tennis. So we got to get our shoulders back. We want to do lots of those supermans where we're getting our posture back to where it needs to be. And then we want to make sure that our shoulders are in the right position for tennis. Okay, so then moving down the body, Mm -hmm. obliques, you know, tennis is a twist. So you want to spend some extra time on your obliques. And then just so that you're able to stop that motion, you want to make sure that you do some good core work. So some planks. And some things for your lower back, like maybe, you know, some straight leg deadlifts, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And then leg strength is your advantage in tennis, right? That's what enables you to move around the court quickly. I always tell my tennis players, move your feet to the ball, don't lunge out to hit the ball. Because when you lunge out really far, that's when you're at risk of hurting yourself. If you can quickly move your feet and get to the ball, you're going to have a better shot and you're going to be in less risk of hurting yourself. So the lower body becomes crucial with your strategy of how you play. So I love lunges, I love squats, all your basic You know, lower body exercises. And then I think you should get out and try to do some change of direction movements, like things that are more dynamic that kind of imitate a tennis move. And finally, your ankles strength and your ankle stability is very important for the stopping and starting. So
1: how do you strengthen the ankles?
3: So you can do things like calf raises, you know, the heel raises and any of the footwork like short foot exercises, that type of thing. So with those, I would suggest you get your shoes off and you do some good work with your feet. Again, you can look a lot of these exercises up online, but anything that strengthens your feet and your ankle is the way to go okay. because that's going to help you with the stopping and starting. and also you know, just simply closing your eyes, balancing on one foot, because we need the ankle stability to be there so that when you do a quick change of direction, you don't flip over on your ankle.
1: Okay, let's move on to golf, Mm -hmm. which is very different.
3: Very different. Golf is extreme ranges of motion in your shoulders and your hips. And if you don't have the range of motion in your hips, it's going to go into your low back, Mm. which we've seen with people like Tiger Woods, that was wonderful this past weekend when he played. Yeah. But when your hips don't move, then the twist starts to come through your lower back. And that's why golfers have so many low back issues. So our number one goal is, first of all, get your shoulder range of motion improving so, it's an external rotation, and if you don't know what that means, you know, inside just get a small club, take a golf swing, and go to your back swing, which is an external rotation on one arm, and then go through to your follow through, which is an external rotation on the other arm. Right. So, then you're going to understand that's two extreme ranges of motion, because when you start hitting with your driver, your goal is to get that range of motion as big and as strong as you can. Okay. Mm -hmm. And lots of times, if you don't have the strength, your club head is still kind of going there. Okay, so that's why you really want to make sure you've worked on that range of motion. So external range of motion for your shoulders, we want to get that moving. And then with the hips, it's internal rotation. So that's a little bit stranger for people because we're not used to that. So again, you can practice a swing and you'll see that on your back swing, you internally rotate on your back hip. And then when you do your follow through, you internally rotate on your front hip. And those ones are a bit harder to train, but I love things like clamshells and anything that kind of trains your glutes and gets your hips moving. I would even suggest...
1: Would you do like kettlebell swings or something like that?
3: Yeah, kettlebell swings would be great because that's also going to strengthen your core and your back, which we want. And I even would suggest jump into a few kind of yoga moves, right? And especially the ones that are dedicated to your hips because we really want to get your hips a little more mobile. And that's not easy because it's very unique to golf, that internal rotation of your hips. So that's important. And again, we need to do our obliques for golf. So, any good oblique exercises that you love, those will be helpful to you because you know you're twisting through the golf swing. The one that I really like for golfers is something heavy, like you know, ideally we use a medicine ball and you kind of rotate around and throw it to a wall behind you.
1: Right, and it bounces, and then you yeah, try I love catch that it. one. Yeah, yeah.
3: And if you don't have a medicine ball, you could do it with a weight. And we've even had some of the young athletes we work with at home; they use their heavy backpacks. Or gym bags. Right. And they just swing them around behind and then swing them around the other way. And that will really help strengthen your obliques. I did this
1: exercise once where I was on my knees and I took like a plate and then you kind of bring it up over your head and then bring it across your body.
3: Yeah, I love it. Right? Yep. That would yes. do it too, wouldn't it? That would totally do it too. You know which other ones are fun too? You're kind of describing it, I think, is like the wood chop. Yeah,
1: wood choppers. Yeah.
3: Love it. That's an awesome exercise for golf. That's a very good suggestion. And then, so low back is very important for golf because we're kind of bending over, right? Yeah. And so we want to really make sure that we're getting our low back working. And my favorite exercise for that related to golf is bird dog. So you're on hands and knees, and then you just reach out opposite arm, opposite leg. And keep your balance. And keep your balance and keep your back stable. I love that. I love all the variations of that. It's a really good back strengthening move.
1: Fantastic. Stacey, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today.
3: Wonderful. Well, lovely to talk to you. And I'm going to watch for you out on those tennis courts. (laughs) Thanks. Okay. Take care, Jamie.
1: We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss Meal Prep 101 on The Tonic.
3: Wayne Elliott here to share my great experience over the past 20 years with Strauss Heart Drops. If you've had bypass surgery, stents, have angina, diabetes, cold hands and feet grayish-blue lips or skin, I urge you to try Strauss Heart Drops and feel better again soon. Strauss Heart Drops saved my life and thousands of others without risk or harm. Go to StraussNaturals.ca to order online or find a store near you. I promise you won't be sorry. I hope you give this to yourself. Thank you.
1: The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop, offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca.
2: You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio.
1: Carolyn Tanner-Cohen is the owner and founder of Delicious Dish Cooking School in Toronto. She's been teaching cooking classes for 17 years. She has a science background which edifies her interest in health and fueling the body with foods that will optimize health. Carolyn teaches people how to meal plan, eat healthy, cook with natural whole foods, and organize their kitchen. She teaches new cooks, seasoned cooks, university students who are living on their own for the first time, nannies, housekeepers, and everyone in between. For more information about Carolyn, you can visit deliciousdish.ca. Welcome back to the show.
5: Thank you so much.
1: We're going to do a little food nerd stuff today, huh? We're going I love that. Right? Like n- most people just go, they buy their groceries, and they cook their meals, or maybe they don't, or maybe they order in, or whatever it is they do. But today we're going to discuss a little bit about organizing yourself, yeah?
5: For sure. It'll keep you on track, for sure, at minimum.
1: What does meal prep mean? What does it mean to you?
5: Okay, well, I think it's better if I tell you what it doesn't mean to me. Okay. And then I'll get into what it means. All right. So what it it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean plan out a bunch of meals, make them, put them into nice containers, take an Instagram picture, put them in the fridge and eat leftovers all week long. That to me is called cooking and eating leftovers, not meal prep. So to me, meal prep is actually prepping your ingredients for your meals that you're going to make that week. Right. So it's like a little bit different.
1: Technically, what you're talking about is mise en place. That's what they call it in the restaurants. And what it it is, is. it's you're taking the raw ingredients and you are maybe doing uniform cuts or you're doing all the hard labor up front. So that when right. it's time to actually execute, everything's ready for you and it's easy to, to make everything you're planning on
5: making. Exactly. But it actually starts with a grocery list. And I have a few rules about this. So I'm happy okay. to, you know, jump right into the rules. Okay. Let's so do I'll it. I have three main rules and I'll tell you all the rules and then we're going to get into the, as long as you keep to the rules, then you're good to go. So first of all, it's all about your master grocery list. Yep. We will go back to that. I want to talk to you about bringing home your stuff, let's call it stuff or your grocery haul, and dealing with it as soon as possible. And then I want to talk about your freezer and how this is not a black hole. It is a temporary storage place.
1: Okay. Let's start with the list.
5: I like to keep a staple grocery list that has very few ingredients and it's a core list. And I actually keep this list on my computer and it's a template. And those particular items in the core list are actually on my template. So my list will look very different from your list Mm -hmm. and it's going to look very different from someone else's list. It is a list of the things that I like to cook with and my family likes to eat. Okay. Okay, Yep. And from there, I'll build on it depending on exactly what I'm making during that week or the recipes that I have planned to make.
1: Right. You're not talking about canned goods or dry goods. You're talking about fresh ingredients at this point. Yes, Yes,
5: exactly. I actually would like to just talk about fresh ingredients when it comes to meal prep because your canned ingredients might be on a different master list and they might be something you buy once a month or once every two months. Okay. So keep a simple list. So that'll keep your eating and cooking on track. And better, it's going to mediate the issue of overbuying and making waste, okay. believe it or not. It's also having this tiny little list, it's also a gateway to giving you creative license in your cooking. So once you become comfortable with cooking with these must-have ingredients, you'll get used to using them in a lot of different ways. So you won't just be using your sweet potatoes in one way. You'll be like, get a little bit more creative with each and every item on your list.
1: I know everybody's different, but give me an idea of what's on your list.
5: So mine's a pretty short list, and this is what it looks like. And I have two columns on my list. I've okay. got this column and then like a meat, freezer chicken dairy kind of color. All right, let's just stick All with right. the produce for now. Yeah. So it's I have sweet potatoes on there. I have mini potatoes on there, like the Yukon's or the other one. I have assorted lettuces that make up a salad, onions, garlic, ginger, fresh chilies, different kinds of greens. It just depends on what's fresh and in season. Yep. I usually have a cauliflower in there, assorted mushrooms, something we love, Herbs and usually it's only one or two, green onions, carrots, and celery.
1: Not much different than mine.
5: And then for my other end of the list, it's, you know, chicken breast, chicken thighs, tofu, whatever that might be, but that you could really shelf for now. So you keep to your master grocery list, okay? Mm-hmm. And they're pr- it's pretty simple, and you could build meals around these simple ingredients. And it also, again, helps you with the urge to buy way too much at the grocery store. Don't go shopping hungry. Okay, but that's an obvious. Now, what happens is I bring home that list or that haul, and I will take all my fresh ingredients and deal with it as soon as possible. So what I do is instead of emptying my grocery bags right into my fridge, I will empty them into the sink. So I'll actually have to remove the things from the sink in order to put them into the fridge. So for instance, all the parsley, all the dill or whatever I have bought, even the carrots and the celery will go right into the sink. They will get washed, peeled if necessary. Like if you always use carrots that are peeled, as most people do. I'll peel them now as opposed to every single night that I need them. Okay? okay, so
1: what you're saying is rule number two is deal with your produce and start the processing immediately.
5: Absolutely. I mean, think about it like this. Think about how much time you spend actually preparing your ingredients before you actually put the meal together every single night. So you'll get rid of all that extra time. For instance, I will peel a whole head of garlic when I bring home the head of garlic, a bulb, a whole bulb of I'll peel all the cloves. I'll put them in a small little jar and I leave the peeled garlic cloves in my fridge. So think about how many minutes or how many 10 minutes you spend peeling garlic cloves every single time you want to make dinner.
1: Well, you're just front-ending the time, but I get it because you're you're doing it all at once. So it's economies of scale. I guess my only only concern in doing this, if you're portioning and, and, and prepping and getting rid of the skins is you're also, you're shortening the shelf life of these, of the products though, aren't you?
5: Absolutely. Okay, so I have a few little tidbits of information. First of all, garlic definitely oxidizes, so it doesn't have the the same impact of flavor when you peel it. But at the same time, if you're more likely to use it if it's already peeled, then you might as well do it. The downfall of doing things like this has a huge upswing if you want to look at it like this. So prep your ingredients. So another idea is that you can take this one little step further if you prep more and you'll end up cooking a little bit less. So, the last week I made a Greek salad and I prepped all the usual suspects for the Greek salad, you know, the peppers, the onions, et cetera, et cetera. And then the next night I had, I prepped two and three times the amount I needed for that night. The next night I added that, including the dressing, and made a pasta salad. So, all I had to do was boil my pasta noodle. The following night, I chopped all the ingredients a little bit smaller and made a salsa-like, like like a Greek salsa-like topping for fish. Just salt, pepper on my fish, grilled it up through the... Greek-type topping on top of it, drizzled a little bit of the Greek dressing on top of the fish, and I got three kind of meals out of that little Greek salad ingredient. Okay. So then the last important part of this is that you should treat your freezer like it's a temporary storage, not a black hole. So in other words, you make something, throw it in the freezer because you don't know what to do with it. That's not what it should be about. Your freezer should have intention. So in other words, let's say you're making rice for dinner, or I like to make a mix of rice and quinoa. Instead, make a larger batch. I'll take out my rice cooker for this. I'll make a mix of whatever grain I'm making, whether it's rice, quinoa, just rice, and I'll make enough for four meals. And then what I'll do is I'll portion out the other three meals worth of rice, quinoa mixture of rice and I'll baggie it, I'll label the bag, I'll label the date of entry, and I will label exactly what's in it or what I can be using it for. So for instance, I love making fried rice. It's a little bit of a pain to have to make rice, cool it, refrigerate it, because that's really the kind of rice you should be using for fried rice. And then I'll have it, and you could really go from freezer to fry pan with that. Okay. things like that. Or you could even prep ahead, if you're chopping one onion for your soup on night one, chop three onions for your soup, and then flash freeze the onions on a sheet, with lined with parchment paper, and then you could throw all your chopped onions into a larger container or larger Ziploc bag, and you'll label it. You know, one cup of chopped onion equals one onion.
1: For bag. people that aren't used to doing this, give me some idea of how long you could keep an onion in your freezer, chopped up.
5: Absolutely. So the general rule for keeping onions and herbs and stuff like that yeah. is not more than three months. Okay, even yeah. slightly less, and that's why I. See in my freezer rule that it's a temporary storage place. It should not be a permanent storage place. Right. It's almost treated like a second fridge and you know what's in there. So you don't have 15 amounts of onions You have two or three. And think of your freezer as something you're going to feed once every two weeks or once a month. So I'll make that cook rice or grain mixture once a month, and I'll have enough for the month, not enough for three months. And you should have a proper inventory on that freezer. So what I have is I have a little piece of paper stuck to the outside of the freezer... And especially if you have a second freezer in your living space. And I have a little inventory. I have like, you know, three containers of soup. I have chopped onions. I have this, I have that. And then I know that it's in there. Look for it. Go for it and use it. So don't just throw things in there. Don't make a big batch of soup and throw a container that could possibly feed 12 people in your freezer portion it out into four person serving you could always defrost two containers right it's very hard to use up a freezer container full of a portion for 12 people
1: okay other than like fresh ingredients are there other ways you can utilize the freezer to sort of make your life easier like when you're for example baking or, or putting something to- oh
5: yes for instance my kids love fresh homemade cookies, okay? They want them all the time. And I don't always want to make them all the time. So let's say I make one batch of cookies. Maybe it has 18 cookies in the batch. I will possibly make two or three batches of cookies. And then using my little mini cookie scoop or ice cream scoop, I will lay out on a cookie sheet or a tray lined with parchment another two dozen balls of cookie dough. I will flash freeze that, meaning you just put that tray in the freezer of cookie doughs, and you could put them quite close together because you're not baking them. And then once the cookie dough balls are completely raw, hard frozen, I'll throw them into a Ziploc bag. But on the Ziploc bag, before I freeze it, I will label it chocolate chip cookie dough balls, preheat oven to 350, place balls on the cookie tray, and bake for 12 to 15 minutes. So I'll actually go the extra mile. And give myself the ingredients. I also do the same thing with pancake mix. So I have a pancake mix that I like to make. It's my own recipe, but it's I call it a four-grain pancake mix. And it's a bit of a pain every single time I want to make pancakes or waffles to pull out all my grains. It's also those grains or leaves flours might take up shelf space or freezer space. So I'll make a bunch of pancake mix baggies. And on the baggies, I'll label them pancake mix, at two cups, add one egg, two cups of milk, et cetera, et cetera. So in other words, give myself the instructions of what I need to do with that dry mixture.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
5: You are so welcome.
1: You're going to come back next month and we're going to get a little bit more into freezing, but we're going to focus on vegetables and herbs. Yes?
5: Absolutely.
1: Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Vital Directives is a center committed to helping people ignite their innate healing power and remove the barriers of fear that keep them in pain. Through changing their client's mindset and teaching them to connect with their body, the Vital Directive's step-by-step process helps them focus, feel safe, and get immediate relief. Their process involves removing the physical limitations induced by chronic pain while creating personalized, high-level self-care and preventative measures. They believe that significantly reducing chronic pain is just the first step. Through powerful physical exercises and mindset shifts, coupled with solid support system, they inspire people to transform from the inside out. For more information, visit their website at VitalDirectives.com. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighbourhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit TonicToronto.com. Hey, if you like The Tonic Talk Show, You'll love Tonic Magazine and vice versa.
2: This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio.
1: Derek Scott is a registered social worker and certified internal family systems therapist with an international online practice based near Toronto, Canada. Derek has worked in the field of counseling and therapy for over 35 years, including 15 working exclusively as an internal family systems therapist and 18 years as an AIDS counselor specializing in multiple loss. He's the founder of IFSCA an organization dedicated to bringing awareness of the internal family systems model to counselors and therapists in Canada and beyond. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Let's start with internal family systems counseling system, which is a long mouthful. What is it? Well, it's
0: the emerging model of psychotherapy, really. It's based on the understanding that there's nothing wrong with you, there's nothing wrong with me, there's nothing wrong with any of us, and that healing that can occur inside personality systems can be facilitated by the individual. It's quite rapid but it's gaining a lot of traction
1: right now. You're saying there's nothing wrong with me? That's I, right. I may take issue with that, sir. You don't know me well enough to know all the all the, all the things going on in this brain, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, t- I'll take it at face value. So you have started this initiative, and that's really why I brought you on the show, which, yeah. which is super interesting to me and, and, of course, very timely. And that is what is the Grief Corp. Can you s- explain a little bit about that?
0: Sure, yeah. It's a volunteer-based, volunteer-driven service, and it's offering six weeks of free online counseling for people that have lost someone through the pandemic.
1: Is it exclusive to people who have lost somebody due to COVID? Or is it open to people who just happen to have lost somebody during COVID?
0: It's for people who have lost someone to COVID.
1: All right. And why do that as opposed to just people who have lost somebody in general? Why is COVID specific?
0: Because there are specific issues around COVID loss, which make those particular kinds of bereavement more difficult. And you're quite right at the moment, anyone that loses anyone is having a hard time because they don't have access. Funeral homes aren't providing the same sort of service. But Someone who's lost someone specifically to COVID is more likely to experience an unanticipated loss. The suddenness of it, those bring complications and bereavement, which someone that has uh, an anticipated loss, perhaps a parent who's had cancer for a couple of years, and they've been able to anticipate their decline, uh, is going to have a different reaction to the complexities
1: these days. Where did you come to the idea of the Grief Corp? I've been in
0: the field for a long time. So I was a young counselor in the 80s and 90s. I was 26, I think. My first counseling job, and it was in the AIDS community. And a lot of us back then were very focused on, not unlike today, transmission, keeping ourselves safe, activism, getting the word out. And we put a lot of our energies into that. This may sound crazy, but we kind of didn't notice the impact of all the people that were dying around us in the community for a few years. And we kind of didn't know we were grieving or what grief looked like. Or Those experiences for me led to burnout. I was hitting 30, and I just stopped feeling, basically. And then a couple of years later, I went into emotional overwhelm. So these are the kind of extreme reactions to significant loss, multiple loss. So when COVID hit, I drew on those experiences and thought, let's get ahead of the curve this time. Let's make sure we've got something in place, particularly for when people emerge out of lockdown and the world is not as it was, that will bring its own grief as well. But for people that have lost people to this disease under horrible unanticipated circumstances, they're going to need a lot of support. And that's what I wanted to be able to provide.
1: Are you seeing that the people who've lost family members and loved ones to COVID are experiencing loss differently? Like, is that really manifesting? Like, I understand the theory behind it, but are, are you actually seeing it in practice?
0: I haven't seen many individuals just yet, because we're just starting this uh, initiatives. But I can certainly tell you from all the research on complex bereavement and complicated bereavement that, yes, you can anticipate people having much bigger responses that might be bigger numbing yeah. for a period of time. It might be more rage. It might be a sense of, I don't really know who I am right now it might be clinical depression. There's uh, all sorts of uh, exaggerated responses. Grief is hard enough. Really, it's hard enough when when the world around you is relatively stable. Right. When the world isn't, it adds layers of complexities to
1: the grief. So let's talk a bit about the Grief Corp and, and the program. How does it work? And maybe sort of talk it through and explain a little bit more about the function of it.
0: So at the moment, I've got 52 mental health professionals volunteering their time, ready to go. If there is someone who's listening to this or, you, or someone who knows someone that's Of it, who's lost someone to COVID grief? All they have to do is go to the website, which is ifsca.ca, click on the grief court. And then there's a, a table there. People could just sign in. There'll be a facilitator's name. Let's say it's Catherine. Let's say Catherine's available 1.30 to 3 on a Wednesday. If that fits for the person, they can click on Catherine. It'll take you to her email. Uh, Catherine will email you right back. Say, okay, you're number three in the group. We're kind of waiting till we get about 10 people. That's a good number to work with. And then we're ready to go. And then that will start a six-week process.
1: So you're signing on. And then is it a series of online sort of Zoom meetings? Is that how it's working? Or
0: That's what it is, yes. Yeah. It will be 6 meetings at the same time every week with the same people.
1: Okay. Are there personality fits or is it just sort of like as a, as a volunteer situation, once you're in a group, you're in a group. Can you can you move around the groups or would you not recommend
0: that? No, once you're in, the group gets established and it's what we call a closed group. So once it starts, no one else is coming into the group so that you can build uh, a sense of safety and consistency within that group, which is very helpful when you're processing
1: bereavement. Okay, so l- let's say, for example, I was to join one of these groups. How long are the sessions? 90 minutes. Okay, and is everybody required to participate or can you just listen like because people process differently yeah
0: that's right so we establish group guidelines obviously confidentiality one person speaks at a time you don't talk on top of people but there's also a recognition that some people participate by observing right that just becomes a guideline they're very welcome to do that
1: okay and have you used this model before or is this uh, th- this griefcorp model sort of new and as a result of the restrictions be- due to covid
0: the Online Zoom aspect of it is new for me. Yeah. However, a lot of the invitations to talk and the themes of the different weeks sort of tried and tested and they rely heavily on the understanding of bereavement and what's helpful within bereavement.
1: So, what sorts of exercises and tools might one to expect if they were going to join one of these groups?
0: Yeah, good question. There's an invitation to, for example, notice how you carry grief in your body. People don't necessarily think of that, right? But yeah. if you ask someone, you know, how have you been experiencing that in your body, they'll often report neck and shoulder pain, gastrointestinal distress, that kind of stuff. It's very helpful to join the dots and recognize, oh, this is connected to my grief as well. There's another exercise which um, invites people to consider what they learned as kids, right? So when you were growing up, what losses did you have and, and what happened around them? Now, most of the well, assume we're going to be talking about death. And they'll say, well, I didn't have any losses as a kid. But If you probe a little deeper, if you move schools, if you went up a year or down a year, if you moved houses, you will have lost a significant aspect of your world. And then the people around you either supported you in that or didn't. So, right. for example, it's not uncommon. You know, the family moves to a new town. The parents are all happy because we've got a promotion, we've got a better house, we're living in a better neighborhood, isn't this great? Well, if you're the little kid that's you know missing their bedroom and missing the tree in the in the yard that they used to climb, it doesn't feel great. It doesn't right. feel great at all, right? But yeah. unless the parents are sensitive to that, well, what are you going to do? Your parents are telling you it's great, it doesn't feel like it's great. So you have to develop these internal ways of processing. So maybe minimizing, oh, it's not that big a deal, right? And maybe focusing on the positive and all of that. So those strategies we learn as kids Will often carry us through our life, but they're not that helpful as an adult, right? So, if you've lost a parent in a care home that you did not have access to, and the last time you saw them was as they were dying on your phone, right? that needs to be named and known and witnessed so that that can be moved through. And if there's a part of you inside saying, Well, it's not that big a deal, it's an invitation to notice that when you were a kid, it was necessary to have that. It's not that big a deal, but it might be okay now to know how big a deal it is. So, you know, making those links between early losses, present-day responses can be really helpful. And really helpful in a group context as well, because you're not the only one. Right. Other people learn stuff when they were kids, you know?
1: Exactly. What's your hope for this program? I mean, you're, you're setting it up and it's very noble. I mean, it's, it's good work. But what are, you, what are you hoping to achieve with this?
0: Well, my hope is to get the word out there. As I said, I've got 52 mental health professionals right now waiting to start the work with people. That's potentially over 500 bereaved people. We've got over 5,000 deaths in Canada right now. So my hope is that this will be an ongoing process and that people will come to a group. By the way, nobody feels like they're a group person to start with. So I fully get it. People are saying, yeah. oh, I'm ambivalent about this. That makes total sense. And there's a, an introductory video on the site as well, which lets you know what you can expect. But my hope is that over the six weeks, people will connect. Now the thing about grief is it's very isolating. If I've lost a parent and I'm telling you I lost my parent and you don't have any resonance with that You may offer me a platitude. You might say, oh, Derek, that sounds hard, but that's going to basically shut down the conversation. If I'm talking to other people, I can see the nods in the Zoom room. I can feel that they won't get it in the way I get it, but they'll get it in the way they get it, and I will appreciate that. So my hope is that people will connect over the six weeks, and some will form those natural connections that will carry them beyond the six weeks. They'll form friendships. They'll have a support system that they'll be able to call on, because it's not like your grief is resolved in six weeks. That doesn't happen. But if connections can be made feel genuine and organic, then those supports can continue because otherwise we're looking at a mass of people in this country that are experiencing complex bereavement that may take them into depression, it may take them into suicide, it may take them into very extreme places in isolation. And my hope is that they won't have to feel so alone.
1: Well, I think that's fantastic. And if people want more information about this program, again, what should they do?
0: Just come to the site. It's ifsca.ca and then all the information is there for
1: them. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
0: I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for having
1: me. Wonderful. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Andrea Donsky, Dr. Stacy Irvine, Carolyn Tanner-Cohen, and Derek Scott. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. During COVID-19, we're suspending distribution of the magazine, but Tonic is generally available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighbourhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss heart health, kick-starting your sex life after COVID-19, and growing and storing herbs. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a
0: healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement.